Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Some great, great college football games this weekend. I can hardly wait. We've got Alabama at Tennessee. Michigan and Penn State are going to go at it. And statewide, how about Clemson at Florida State? Can they pull off the upset? and really get a signature win there for uh, Mike Norvell. There's a lot of good things going on, of course, Florida and LSU. We're going to talk to Matt Baker, the Tampa Bay Times, our college football writer here, in just a minute. But first, the Bucks are preparing for their game at Pittsburgh against the Steelers, and it's a question of uh, who's going to be able to play. There's a very lengthy injury list. Most of those guys, or a lot of them at least, are in the secondary I think it was good news that Carlton Davis was back. Of course, Jamal Dean is still good, so you have your two starting corners. I think will be full go. Uh, the safety position, Mike Edwards has a bit of an elbow prob- problem. He was wearing a brace, didn't practice. Uh, you know, they're they're nicked up back there, and you know we know that uh, Logan Ryan has been out with a uh, with an ankle injury. So at the safety position, a little bit thin, depending on what Edwards you know status is going to be. But for the most part, they all look good. Cameron Brake came back, and he was practicing, full participant. He's still in the concussion protocol, but this is all part of getting out of that, right, when you can go fully in practice and not have any side effects and that sort of thing. Even though Kate Otten's been playing very, very well, and we had a chance to talk to him after practice. So I think on the whole, Noah Keem Hicks and, and some of the usual guys, no Julio Jones, uh, Russell Gage was out, which was not a good sign. He had, I think, a bit of an ankle problem as well. So the receiver position, they, they still have depth there. And I, I get a lot of questions, and we'll address this on the mailbag tomorrow a little bit, uh, about Julio Jones and the plan for him. I just think that at this point, as long as they have three very competent receivers, and when I say three, I mean Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and anybody else, right, whether that's Scotty Miller, Bashard Perriman, uh, even Jalen Darden was out, um, as a matter of fact, in, in, in practice. But as long as they have three fairly, you know, guy, regular guys going, I don't think they're going to push Julio Jones at all. And, and I don't know, like, how much better this injury is going to get. Apparently it's some kind of PCL injury, partial tear, tear, what have you. Uh, but he's not to the point where they want to put him back on the field now because they fear that uh, he'll just get hurt in the short term and they won't have him in November, December, which I, I suspect is when – uh, you know they want all hands on deck because you're you're bound to get some injuries right now. They can they they've got Godwin, they got Evans and and a bunch of other guys. I think they feel confident in their receiving core, and so I think you just you just hold him back, you know, and uh, make sure that he's he's as healthy as he can be given the injury that he has. I don't, and he's not going to be a hundred percent at all this year, and he hasn't been for about three years. But we saw what he could do in the Dallas game if you can get him anything close to that again you'd have yourself a really dynamic uh, third receiver. So don't expect much from him. Not sure what's going on with Hicks. They could end up putting him on IR if they needed his roster spot, which they don't right now. And so, you know, again, it's early in the week. You see these injury reports, and they're very daunting. There's like 12 guys on it, I think. But 
Seven of them didn't practice. We'll see what happens today. And Tom Brady did practice. You know, I think ever since that uh, it came out that he was going to take Wednesdays off, he's taken exactly one Wednesday off. So he was not on the injury report at all, not with his shoulder, not with the finger, nothing. So right. Was he practicing news. football or pickleball since he's buying a team? <laughs> yeah, right. I saw he's going to be an owner of a uh, of a pickleball team or a league or what is that? Yeah, no, it's a it's a new league. LeBron James has a team, I believe, or is an owner at least of one. And Kim Kleisters now and Tom Kim Kleisters, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got something he can do until he's what seventy, eighty years old. Well, yeah, you can definitely do that past forty five. So right, right. I could see that. Not great lateral movement, but you know, got good hand eye. I would imagine at this point. I think Tom Brady is trying to own everything. You know, and his his biggest pursuit, I think, when he's done playing, in addition to just, you know, becoming the best box announcer he can be, I think he's going to try to have ownership of an NFL team. I mean, he's all, we know that he's tried that with Miami. Um, you know, there was there was interest there. Of course, he knows the minor, minority and owner there, as well as, as well as Stephen Ross, who was suspended for tampering and things like that. But I don't think it stops with the Dolphins. I think he's going to continue... Uh, to try to have a role with a team. Now, whether that affects his broadcasting or not, I, I don't really know um, you know how that would go with Fox. I don't think they care per se. Maybe you just don't do those games. But at the end of the day, I, I do believe that he wants to have some influence and the, res, you know, the capital that comes with it, right? Um, these franchise values are only going to go up. Uh, whatever percentage that is, I think he wants to be, I think he wants to be involved. You know, uh, I really do. And, It'll be interesting to see who gives them that opportunity. Clearly, the Glazers have not, and that doesn't surprise me because they're a, you know a very closed family when it comes to stuff like that. And um, I don't necessarily think they're looking for minority partners in anything that they own, Man U or anything else. Uh, so, but at the end of the day, yeah, I, I, it, it was interesting to see that he's now. I would think you know, I would think the NFL owner. and Fox would have an issue of him owning. Well, because you're going to go, it? you're going to go into meeting rooms with other teams. You're going to be this, and hmm, that's a good point. What are they production doing? Production meetings. I mean, picking you know, even if you're not doing your games, but you're still yeah. getting insight to a lot of different teams and organizations and what they do. And are those yeah. teams going to offer up anything to you? Well, I don't know. You know, that's the thing. Like, I think you'd have to be if you're one of those teams. Like, for example, if uh, Sean Payton takes a, a broadcasting job even though he's not affiliated with a specific team, everybody knows he's coming back to coaching. So how much are you going to tell – how much of the curtain are you going to pull for him? I think it would be the same thing with Brady in those in those production meetings and things like that. Wasn't there a time when um, – uh, help me with the name Mendoza. She she broadcasted for ESPN. Does a lot of baseball. Mm-hmm. She had some role with Jessica the New York Mendoza. Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jessica Mendoza, and mm-hmm. she had some role with the New York Mets, and that became problematic. Yeah, there's some people some had level. problems with it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know you're you're letting them behind the curtain for some things to give yeah. them insight for the broadcast, and they pay for those rights. But that's right. She works for a comp- competitive team. I don't want to mm-hmm. show anything. All right. So I don't know. I, I I just sense that he really really wants to go that direction. But maybe it'll be some other franchise in some other league. I don't know. But we got pickleball, so we can all we can all talk about that ownership. I'm sure we'll talk to Tom about later today later about. Uh, his interest in pickleball and what, where that all comes from. But, yeah, I think he's just trying to own the world, to be honest Maybe with he's going to try to rebrand it as avocado ball. <laughs> it could be. That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a vegetable, not a fruit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I don't know. 
All right, we're going to talk to Matt Baker here in just a second. But first, I want to remind you all on how to save on your electric bill and do it now. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been operating and installing solar systems for 12 years. And there's a lot of these companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances, that is what they call the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing so you can see what they're going to install in your home. And plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who's doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, Preserve the quality of your life and the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, my favorite time of the week, Matt Baker joins us to talk some college football. And, uh, Matt, there's a big game up in Tallahassee this weekend. I think we're going to find out a little bit more uh, about the Seminoles, although uh, probably disappointed they blew that halftime lead they had last week at North Carolina State. Clemson comes to town. I'm starting to be a, a believer in Clemson. All of a sudden, I wasn't sure about their quarterback, but they've got that home winning streak. Um, this will tell us something about both teams. Yeah, for sure. And, and thanks for having me on. I, I, I'm a much bigger believer in Clemson than I was at the start of the season. I, I had serious questions about DJ Uyunglele and whether he could, whether he was just a guy or whether he could take the next step. And, and look, let's let's face it: the run Clemson of Clemson quarterbacks was ridiculous. You're you're not going to have. Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence every year. You're not. <laughs> Nobody does. There, there's always a Kelly Bryant in the middle or a couple Kelly Bryants in the middle. And right. we didn't know what DJ was going to be more Deshaun or more Kelly Bryant. And uh, he's playing more like a Deshaun. Again, Deshaun's don't grow on trees. Deshaun's one of the best couple players I've seen with my own eyes. But DJ has gotten a lot better. And that defense is legit. So the, it's, it's, you know, I feel much better about Clemson as a playoff team now than I did at the start of the season. I've got him fourth in my top 25. I could argue putting him a little bit higher than that even. Um, so I think Clemson's good, but I also think they're gettable. Um, you know, they, they don't have necessarily the playmakers at receiver that they've had in the past. The, the T. Higginses and Mike Williams and, and uh, Ray Ray McLeod. It's, it's, not, it's not a great skill talent, I don't think, although I do like the running back. Um, so... I think Florida State has a chance. I really do. This FSU team is still feisty. Um, you know, they, they didn't play great against Wake Forest, but they were right in it with a couple minutes to go. And that's, it's a very Wake Forest team, as we've discussed. You know, they're up two touchdowns at, at NC State. And, yeah, I know NC State's quarterback got hurt, and I, I know how the offense, FSU's offense performed down the stretch. But still, that was not a terrible performance. It ended poorly, and the second half was bad. But still, they, they had a chance to win it late. And, and I think we're, again, I'm kind of great on a curve here. Where FSU is right now, for them to be in those in position to win some of those games is, is what they should be. You know, they've won the games that they're supposed to, and they're having, they're competitive with, in, and with a chance to win in the other ones. And I honestly think on Saturday, it will be a four-quarter game, and they will have a chance to win in the fourth quarter. I don't know if they're going to get it done. At, at some point, you're going to have to expect that from Mike Norvell. Uh, I mean, you just are. Losing to Wake Forest and, and NC State, yes, those are good teams. FSU is supposed to beat them. Not right now, but next year, it's definitely going to be time to start thinking. And, and honestly, 
the, the way this season has shaped with their four and and everybody's excited. And then they lose two close ones to really good teams. They, this should be one where they, they, they should absolutely contend. I would not be surprised at all if they, if they ended up beating Clemson. I mean, if they did, obviously this would be, I mean, this would be a huge signature win for them, whether this is a gettable Clemson team or not. And I agree with you. I think the fact they have him in Tallahassee, you know, look, they got the longest win streak in the country at home. Clemson does. So you, you're not going there, but um, at some point, you, you expect to see one of these upsets, right? I mean, that's usually what sort of happens as you get closer, 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 and then one magic Saturday, you put it together against a great team. This would be the weekend to do it. Absolutely. That's the way it is. You build and you build and you build, and at some point, it breaks through. And it mm-hmm. hasn't quite done that with Norvell yet. Um, you know, I guess you could say that, um, yeah, yeah, he beat a top five UNC team in, in 2020, but that was weird. That, that, was, that was COVID. That UNC wasn't quite as good as we, as they, they looked, and it, that, that was weird. But I'm not dismissing it, but that's also does, I'm not counting it as a breakthrough. And, right. and, you know, maybe the LSU game to some degree was, although this isn't like a, a sensational LSU team either. But sure. if you keep building and building and getting better and putting yourself in position, all those the whole you got to lose to know how to win kind of thing, I think yeah. there's something to that. And I think yeah. w- the way FSU was built – with a veteran quarterback in Jordan Travis, some good skill pieces around. You've got a really good pass rusher in Jared Verse, who's, who seems to be getting healthy again. There are the pieces there and the experience and just the knowledge of the system and all that stuff. And, now, and again, playing at home at Doak, which I, I, I'm expecting a, a great atmosphere, you can talk yourself into that upset and this being the time it breaks through. Well, it would be a, it would be a great weekend for it, and of course they're going against a Clemson team coached by Dabo Sweeney, who I had a chance to talk to. One of his former players is on the practice squad of the Bucks that I wrote a story about. I had never talked to Dabo Sweeney. You don't really talk to Dabo Sweeney; <laughs> you listen to Dabo Sweeney. There is no interviewing required. You don't have to have a list of questions because you're you're not going to get to them. Um, so I actually had to excuse myself and tell Dabo that I had to go. After about a half hour, when he's on a roll and he, he's got a topic he likes, which is most all his former players, um, Dabo can go. But I'll tell you, Matt, if I'm in a living room, if I'm uh, a dad, it's hard not to like Dabo Sweeney. And, and there's a lot of Dabo disciples out there in the coaching uh, ranks right now. Yeah, Dabo, Dabo is definitely a talker. There is no question. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've interviewed him in, in big group settings a couple times, and I remember at the ACC um, f- football kickoff a couple years ago, um, I asked him about CJ Spiller and, and how that was kind of one of the ones that really got Clemson going. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he just went on and on in a five minute answer, and it was fantastic, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that's just, I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's snake oil salesman. I just think that's who he is. Um, yeah. <laughs> he is just a, a very interesting character. There's no question about it. Did, did you know, um, one, at one point he sold like uh, commercial real estate. Do you know that? I did. I did. Yeah. He, and that's how he, uh, he told us that the, the first time I think he ever went to Clemson, um, was with, uh, another coach or, or somebody that was, you know, had been on his staff or whatever. And they, um, he called his wife and said, I'm, I'm, I'm here at, at the university of Clemson. They drove up there just to see it. Um, when he was selling commercial real estate. Yeah, my, my, my favorite, this, this is a very quick tangent. Um, he got, the, the, you, you, of course, you know, Nothing Bunt Cakes, the, the uh, little cake shop that's all over the place. He, he got them started. He sold them their first 
little story. Really? Wow. Right? I mean, yeah, uh, one of the South Carolina papers wrote a story on that a couple of years ago. I had no idea, and I I loved that. I was fascinated. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, a little, little uh, real estate place in Anderson, South Carolina, which uh, linkage goes. My, my great grandfather is from there. My dad's from Greenville, so a lot of ties up in that area. Huh, interesting. Um, football. Um, Dabo, as we talk about Dabo's personality, and he's he lights up a room. You you know Dabo yeah. Sweeney's in it. Yeah. And looking at his, his coaching tree, um, which is, is absolutely relevant here, they are not in great shape at the moment. Um, hmm. Obviously, uh, you know, Brent Venables was his DC for a while at, at Clemson. They just got destroyed. It was 49 nothing by Texas yeah. at, at Oklahoma. Yeah. That, that was awful. Uh, Virginia and Tony Elliott, who was his OC for a while, they are not in a good place. Uh, we've mm. talked about Jeff Scott at, at USF and, and, you know, had yeah. another close, not quite performance against Cincinnati. Um, I, I just I just think that's an interesting thing to look at. You know, we, we talk a lot in this industry about coaching trees and obviously Saban has his and there's hits and misses. Kirby was a hit. McElwain and, and was, was a miss. Um, so I just kind of look at that. And I've been trying to think this week about why. And I think all of them have taken their own aspect of the, the Clemson blueprint to where they are, but there's only one Dabo, yeah, you know, yeah, and that personality, that ability to get everyone moving the same direction, that ability to connect, the ability to recruit. I mean, it's also mm-hmm. pretty good with the X's and O's, right, and developing right. players, right? Uh, that's hard to replicate, and I just think it's interesting as we, you know, as we sit here with Clemson coming to town this week, and with uh, you know Jeff Scott is a, a Clemson guy, Billy Napier has Dabo roots as well, although he's much more Saban than he is uh, Dabo nowadays. I just think it's interesting to look at why it hasn't, why it's worked at Clemson at an extremely high level, but it's not working at some of the, you know, some of the places that hired uh, people from that tree. Yeah. I mean, really it it goes to show, you know, we've talked about this with you and how college football is all about coaching, right? That's, that's the, you know, that's the constant. You have players moving on every four, four years, five years, whatever. And, and sometimes sooner than that with the transfer portals, but the best programs, we know Nick's, you know, Nick Saban's at Alabama. Like we know who the coaches are that are in national championships every year. Kirby smart goes to Georgia all of a sudden. And you're right. I think the Saban tree is doing a little bit better. Um, but you know, it, it, it is a, it is a coach's game in college football. And that, encompasses everything right recruiting is probably the biggest aspect of that but there's also something about just being that alpha that can lead you know and and say the right things and belief and um the x's and o's are important in case in the case of Dabo. Uh, but there's those guys are rare uh matt i you know there's just not a lot of them out there that can take a program and you know sprinkle the sauce on build a staff and 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 make it all come together like that yeah i mean you can have the blueprint as, right. as you know, there's no question. Jeff Scott has the Clemson blueprint. He he sure. saw all of it or almost all of it firsthand. He knows what it takes. He knows what it looks like. He knows what to do when you're doing the walkthrough at the team hotel the night sure. before the game, right? Sure. Or or what to say in a living room and and all that stuff. And it matters, but the people matter too. And that's something Billy yeah. Napier's talked a good amount about. Is yeah. um, you know. Higher, we we talk all about the, the army and how Florida is spending five million dollars on support staff and all that stuff, and that's fine and dandy and it's great. You have to you have to have 
you know, from Napier's perspective, you have the investment. But the investment, if you don't have the right people running it, it doesn't matter. So right. you have to – so there's a, a mixture of, of both where it's the formula and the blueprint but also the guys running it. And for whatever reason, Dabo works splendidly at Clemson. And uh, you know, I, I thought they could take a step back this year just because you, mm-hmm. you lose your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator in addition to losing uh, Jeff Scott a couple years earlier. And it would be you – know, you could see a, re- a regression. That would be normal. That's what happened at FSU. You know, Bobby Bowden lost a couple of his uh, top assistants, including Mark Richt, and then they started to, to, to nosedive a little bit. So you could see it happening, but Dabo has built this culture and everything, and everybody understands the way it works, and the guy at the top is, is making the right decisions, and you know, that's why they are where they are right now. It's it, Nothing lasts forever, um, but uh, it, I'm just more impressed with Dabo as we kind of look at his tree because it's – the one major difference is the guy running it and Dabo's, you know, probably going to, going to win the ACC this year and his assistants elsewhere are not in that position. Yeah. And he's got guys coming up behind them. I mean, I think the defense struggled a little bit, certainly against wake when they won that overtime game, they haven't been as dominant at times, but here they are uh, back on top where, where they've always been. And it's going to be a great game at Florida state. You mentioned uh, the university of Florida. I feel like that the Gators are kind of at a crossroads here. Um, you know, this LSU team is, is talented. I don't know that Brian Kelly quite has his stamp on them just yet, but this would be, this would be a win they need to get, it feels like, if, if they're going to push forward uh, with that program this year. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The LSU is not a great team. They're good. They're one of the <laughs> many teams and that, that's you know good enough to beat a lot of people, bad enough to lose to a lot of people, just the way it is this year. Um, right. But it's still as LSU. They still have athletes. Brian Kelly is one of the most accomplished coaches in the country, outside mm-hmm. of the Dabo, Kirby, and, and, and Saban. Brian Kelly is up there. So, yes, this is a, a team that's absolutely gettable. Um, and, look, let's face it, Florida-LSU is still a rivalry. That still matters. It, it's been a weird, <laughs> weird series. I don't... Maybe there was a, uh, you know, I've been in this role since 2015. Maybe there was a normal game one time. I think <laughs> 2018 <laughs> was, was fairly normal. But right. everything else is crazy. With either less mile faking field goals or the thrown shoe or the hurricane yucking us thing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, goal line stand and 16 to win the, the SEC East. And all that. It's just been a bunch of weird. And, and you know, we're, we're recording this. It's 920 on Wednesday morning. I'm surprised there hasn't been a weird thing yet. Like a lion from the Baton Rouge Zoo is on the loose and uh, everybody in Baton Rouge is locked. Just weird stuff because that's the way this series goes. Um, So, yes, this is is a game that if Florida is really taking a step forward, this is a game that they should win. But it's definitely no guarantee. Well, here's what I don't know about Florida is I'm not sure what they're – they've won some close games and we can talk about, um, you know, the ability of Billy Napier to do that. But – I don't know what their identity is still. I thought they were going to build it around Anthony Richardson. He's still obviously the focal point of any offense. But he's sitting here with five touchdowns and seven interceptions. Those aren't numbers I expected at this point in the year. So what are they actually good at? What, what, what is their identity on offense? What do they do well? <laughs> That's a very good question. It's an yeah. obvious question, but it's a good one. Um, they run the ball well. You know, I, yeah. I think they've got yeah. the number three um, – rushing offense in the country in terms of yards per carry. Yeah, number three, it's 6.4. Um, and they've got 
three good backs. Montreal Johnson, the Louisiana transfer, I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, little ETN looks a lot like Big ETN yeah. with, with that mm-hmm. flash and those that cutting ability. I mean, he's a good player now. He is going to be a dude in a year or two. And, yeah. and then Naquan Wright uh, is, is certainly capable as well, and having depth at that position is good. I think the offensive line's pretty strong. You know, Osiris mm-hmm. Torrance, uh, one of the guards transferred from Louisiana. He was the, you know, I think it's pro football focuses number one ranked guard in the country. So, mm. yes, there's there's some good stuff there. The, the main thing, as I'm looking at just what's different about this team compared to where it was under Dan, they are a lot more disciplined. Yeah. Yes, they beat themselves to a large degree against Tennessee. I don't want to minimize what the Vols did. But a lot of that game was Florida making, you know, bad turnovers, um, costly penalties, uh, there was a, a procedural penalty in the fourth quarter. You know, just some of it was that. But the main, generally speaking, Florida's doing a lot better in that regard. You know, they're uh, uh, right now the, uh, in terms of penalty yards per game, they're the fewest since 1974 at Florida. And when wow. you think about how how heavily penalized that team was, yeah, I mean, end of Muschamp, pretty much all of McElwain, a good chunk chunk of the Mullen era as well. You know, that, was it nine false starts against Kentucky? That type of stuff. Florida's not beating themselves the way they have in the past. And look, as, as we're t- talking about making progress and, and getting better and Billy putting his stamp on the culture, uh, he talks a lot about our formula to win. And a big part of that is, I guess his theory is, m- most games are lost rather than won. And Florida is doing a better job, not perfect, but a better job at not losing games the way they did with the end under under Dan, where they missed extra point and guy lined up wrong against Alabama, blown coverage against Mizzou, nine false starts against Kentucky, on and on and on, thrown shoe. I think you're right. I, I think what teams have to do before they win with consistency is not is stop beating themselves. And you know when you can when you can cut down on penalties, when you can cut down on turnovers, and sometimes turnovers are the result of other teams as well. But the, the self-inflicted things, you might not win right away, but until those are cleaned up, you're not going to win. You're going to beat yourself. And most teams, most teams do that, especially against good football teams. But that win against Missouri was, was important. I thought it was solid, if not spectacular, but um, they got the job done. So um, that's going to be a good one as well. We've got USF. I, I thought for all the world they were going to get that signature win. They went on the road to Cincinnati. They had a four-point lead in the fourth quarter, and then it all uh, evaporated. But another good effort, right, against a good football team on the road. They did this a few weeks ago against Florida and followed it up with one of their worst games ever. I still think they got to show some W's here, but they got Tulane coming into Tampa. So this is another opportunity, and, and they might be running out of them, for Jeff Scott to say, Look, not only can we play back-to-back good games, we can actually win one here somewhere along the line. Yeah, it's it's weird. Their two best games were against their two toughest opponents on the road. Yeah. I, I don't have an explanation for that. And, and then, as you said, they you know the next week after Florida, they they got their tails kicked by thirty-eight points at Louisville, which mm-hmm. Louisville's fine. At least Malik Cunningham was healthy then, and he's a really good player. But thirty-eight points that that. Yeah, that that was surprising. Is the the yo-yoing that you're seeing, and um, at this point, you would like to see significantly more consistency from the program. And right. you know, Jeff Scott talked about that um, uh, on Tuesday in his news conference. Just 
you know, he said immediately after the Florida game, like in the locker room, you know, we're coming off of this really heartbreaking loss. Louisville's coming off a really heartbreaking loss, too, because they had just lost the night before against Florida State um, in, in a close game after FSU had their quarterback left tackle and pass, uh, top pass rusher hurt. So we're both in this same situation. The team that responds the best is the one that's going to win next week at, at Louisville. And Louisville responded a thousand times better and, and, and won by 38 points. So USF finds itself in the same situation. I asked Jeff, like, what what do you do differently to make sure that doesn't happen? He's like, I don't know. Maybe you don't talk about it because we talked about it all during Louisville mm. and it didn't happen. So I don't have an answer on on why this team is, is so inconsistent. Um, Tulane is a good team. Tulane is a, it's, let's, let's face it, Tulane is the better team by a decent amount. They've got an experienced quarterback. They've got a fun offense. Their defense is good. I've got him in my top 25. This is a mm. game that Tulane should win. But if yeah. USF can build on, USF hasn't been able to string together good performances in a row very often under Jeff Scott. If they can string together another one, then they will have a chance to make this competitive. Yeah, that's what they need to do. They need to level off the performances and have good ones to great ones each week as opposed to riding the roller coaster like, like they've been doing. Um, some great games around the country. And then I want to ask you about a story that involves a college coach in the Buccaneers, which is something I never knew until this week. Um, great games, I think. This is, this is what college football, you love about it. Alabama and Tennessee, who thought that Tennessee would be in this position right now? Uh, but college game day is back there. Uh, we're still waiting to see if Bryce Young's going to play. But what do you make of this matchup? And, and my goodness, can you imagine Rocky Top if they're able to pull the upset? Well, uh, I, I've been to, to Tennessee twice where they beat a rival in, in Florida with game day there. And it was they were both fantastic, fantastic environments. Yeah. If they can beat Bama, I think <laughs> Bama's won that, that game the third Saturday in October 15 times in a row, if, if I have my wow. math right. Wow. That will be another level um, because the Tennessee fan base is great. I mean, it, I shouldn't say great. It's intense. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when they're on, it is as intense as just about any in the country. And when things are crazy, it's as intense as any in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I'm willing. I don't. I'm not going to say this completely yet, but I might have been wrong about Josh Heupel. Uh, you know, I, I after he not long after he got hired or in his first offseason, whatever it was, like I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think he's the guy just because yeah. of the way he 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 flamed out as the OC at Oklahoma. Um, his, let's face it, things had tailed off at UCF, um, where a lot of Knights fans were not sad to see him go to Tennessee. So I did not think it was going to work. As we sit here today, I am wrong. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to continue, because I don't know that Tennessee is going to beat Bama. I don't know that Tennessee is going to be able to ever really crack and, and, and beat Georgia and win the East, at least not on a consistent basis the way things are right now. Um, but Heupel has... Uh, I'm, man enough to admit that Hypo has done significantly better than I expected to the point where we're even talking about them having a good chance against Bama. I, I would not have expected. So I think that's going to be a very entertaining game. If Bryce Young is healthy and, and you know, you know, looks and plays healthy for Bama, then Bama should, should win that one. But if not, Tennessee's got a chance. Hidden hookers are really good. They, they that's what I, yeah, I, that's it, Matt. I mean, I think you hit it right here I and mean, we'll find out how good Josh Heupel is. Right now, he's got a trans a transcendent quarterback. For whatever reason, 
Hendon Hooker is playing as good a football as anybody in the country right now at quarterback. And he's a leader, and he's got those guys believing. We know how. I don't care what level you're talking about. We've all covered you know, or seen youth league through high schools, through colleges. If you've got that guy, that dude, as you say, at quarterback, everybody's going to follow him, and he's really playing at a high, high level. And, and, and you give hypo credit for, for making it work. Because yeah, for Hooker sure. was fine at Virginia Tech. He wasn't great. It, yeah. it, I don't think anybody, you know, I, I watched him some of Virginia Tech. I didn't think, like, oh, yeah, that guy could win, could win the Heisman. I, right, no. right. You, you definitely didn't think that. So for him to come in and click the way he has with, you know, sure. for quarterbacks being kind of crapshoots to some degree, I, that's, that's a, a definite credit to Josh Heupel for being able to do that. And he's he's developed quarterbacks in the past. You know, it, it's you know, Drew Lock at Mizzou, did well at Oklahoma in that regard. So this isn't a complete shock, but he's doing it at a level higher than, and you know, he's done it consistently now, and I didn't think that would be able to continue at, at, at Tennessee. Yeah, coach quarterback, always very important. Another game to watch, uh, Penn State against Michigan. Who do you have a higher confidence level in between those two programs right now? Michigan, because I, I you know I like Corum and, and I like the, the McCarthy at quarterback, but I don't feel great about it. I don't mm-hmm. think I know a whole lot about either team, Rick. To be honest with you, I yeah. mean I, they're they're both in my top ten, but mm-hmm. Michigan's best win is what over Maryland, who's by a score, and Maryland's fine. Um, Penn State's best win, you know, they, they won handily at Auburn. I, I, look, winning handily at Auburn that counts. Yes, Auburn sucks, but that is still. When you win at Auburn, that is a big deal. That that's a thing. But other than that, you know they should have lost to Purdue in the opener, arguably, and and didn't play particularly well. Ten point win over Northwestern and really yucky game. Like I don't know much about either team so far. Although I really like Penn State's running back as well. So I'm I'm curious to to watch as much as I can of this one, just so I can finally have a good a not a good a better feel for where those two top ten power programs are at this point. And whether either of them will be able to challenge Ohio State in the, in the Big Ten East. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it feels like it's going to come down to one of them against Ohio State, right? And, yep. and, and Ohio State seems to be a notch above for a lot of reasons. Correct, uh, including your, your, your boy uh, C.J. Stroud. Um, Absolutely. The other, another thing to think about here is in this, you know, this, is, this is a weird year, as we've talked about. Even by college football standards, this is weird. Um, Winner of this one, I would imagine, loses to Ohio State, although I don't know. But a one-loss, let's say it's Michigan. A one-loss Michigan team that beats Penn State, uh, plays competitively against Ohio State, an undefeated Ohio State team. That You could see that Michigan team get in the playoff. Now, we'll, again, we'll have to see what happens with USC and Oklahoma State and some of the other ones. It, uh, Clemson, of course. But it, it, this is a year where you could definitely see a one-loss Michigan or Penn State getting into the playoff in it. So this is to some degree almost an elimination game, I, I would imagine. All right. I got to ask you about this story that came out last week, and you, you sent me a, a text message and asked if I knew about this at the time. I did not. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of a lot of pursuits of coaches with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Many of those <laughs> uh, have not come to fruition. They've been left at the altar, et cetera. Um, but certainly we remember – uh, back when Mark Dominic was the, uh, he was the general manager at the time. They had fired, I believe it was Raheem Morris. They were yep. looking for a head coach around 2012, I think this was. And they were all in for Chip Kelly. I specifically remember 
uh, I had written a story at about 1045, 11 o'clock one night uh, and had talked to the Bucks and they were like, look, uh, we're going to contract with this guy. We both want this to happen. And that's sort of where we left it that night. And But he was a college coach. And at that time, whatever the schedule was for recruiting, like National Signing Day was like the next day, right? So you can imagine once this kind of hit the public airwaves, even out in the Pacific uh, Northwest, you know, there was a lot of negative recruiting going on that, oh, you know, all these Oregon recruits and Brian Kelly, he's not going to be there. You know, why would you sign Chip that? Kelly. So, Chip Kelly, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and so Chip, you know, had about five hours really to decide or he was going to lose his class. And even Mark Dominic told me at the time, he said, you know, we think this is going to happen, but we're not sure. Well, by 530 in the morning Eastern time, it was over. Chip Kelly decided to remain in Oregon. He did so for one more year. He went on to the Philadelphia Eagles the next next couple seasons. But what I didn't know, they ended up hiring Greg Schiano, and that seemed to me to be their default guy. But now comes a story about Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State. How'd this drop out of the stratosphere? Well, I, I was sitting, uh, it was Monday, um, at the you know my usual Panera in Gainesville, hacking away and check Twitter <laughs> as I do periodically. My friend Kelly Hines of the Tulsa World tweets that, a uh, bit of a bombshell here. Uh, Mike Gundy just said he interviewed with the Tampa Bay Bucks multiple times. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so I, I messaged Kelly, like, what? Explain, please. Share. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, she she uh, passed along the, the information. And, yeah, so the, here's the context. Uh, Matt Rule obviously just got fired from the Carolina Panthers. Um, yep. And he, you know. Uh, a lot of fans would know that he was a coach at Baylor and did a fantastic job uh, rebuilding them after the Art Bryle scandal to an 11 win team before he took the Panthers job. So some, you know, one of my, my, uh, the, my friends, I think it was on the uh, Oklahoma state beat asked Gundy, like basically what he thought about that. And do you ever, do you ever think about it in the NFL? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I thought about it. Uh, you know, I actually interviewed with the team uh, three times. Um, you know, I guess I'd have been I don't know, 10 years ago. And so, and so they were like, "Go, go on." Yes, who was it? <laughs> and he's like, "I don't know if they want me to say." Like, statute of limitations is up. Come on. Um, and he said, "Yeah, it was, it was the Buccaneers." They ended up hiring wow. the guy from Rutgers. So, yeah, I you did not know that. I did not know that. I don't think my 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 friends on the Oklahoma State beat knew that. Um, so, so a couple a couple things here. Um, let's remember where Oklahoma State was at the time. Uh, 20 you know 2010 and 11 uh right. they were quite good um yeah you had, you had brandon wheaton at quarterback who was mm-hmm. at on some heisman list first round pick uh justin blackman was at receiver you know I, I remember being at the press conference with wheaton and blackman when they decided um that, you know brandon wheaton said no i'm coming back next year and, and, and justin blackman is too and it's a huge deal um, you know, they finished, I think it was three, third in the country, beat uh, Andrew Luck's Stanford team in the Fiesta Bowl. So Gundy was a hot name, and it would have absolutely made sense that NFL teams and everybody else would have taken a look at him. Um, I don't think nationally Gundy gets enough credit for what he's done at Oklahoma State. Traditionally, mm-hmm. they were a basketball school until he, he took over. I mean, they had success a little bit with Les and, and um, some other guys, but really it was, yeah. it was more of a basketball school. And I vividly remember when I was out there that he wanted to change that. He said, we need to be a football school and we need to be committed to it. And and they have been. And he's been a pretty darn consistent winner out there where 
you know, I've got them ninth on my in my top twenty five. They're you know in the six to twelve range and could win the Big Twelve. Almost made the playoff last year, and, and to do it there as the little brother to OU is a really hard thing to do. Um, so Gundy is a darn good coach, and it would have made sense. The other thing I want to say about this is Gundy Gundy's a really good coach, and he's also really really good at playing the game. <laughs> By playing the game, I mean making sure his people. Making sure everybody knows that he has other opportunities and could have other opportunities to get a raise. Um, let's just call it what it is. He's been very good at that over the years and, and flirted with other programs. His name came up in the um, as a potential replacement for, I think it was in the Dan Mullen search, if I remember right, although he kind of deflected that or dismissed that, that he was really interested. His name came up in Tennessee at one point, and it wasn't just like made up. Maybe Arkansas, too. So his name has come up over the years, and... It's not like media speculation, right? So he's very good at, he and his people are very good at, at getting the name out there. And that's made him a, a highly compensated coach that uh, would have had other opportunities. And yeah, I don't know how the Bucks would have been with him, but it, <laughs> it would not have been boring. I can promise you that. Mike Gundy is not a boring human being. And and uh, not for nothing, but about 180 degrees different than Greg Schiano. In, in terms oh my of goodness, uh, gracious. past yeah. personality and just freewheeling. And, you know, he was back then he was a man, he was 42 or so, uh, and, and quite colorful. So yeah, offensively, I think they would have uh, been a lot of fun. Not sure what the, the rest of it would have been, but it just goes to show. And I think that's, look, I think if you, if you gave, you know, truth, truth serum to all college coaches, you'd find a lot of them contacted by the NFL and, you know, and it just happens every year. And it's very, you know, for a college coach to even sort of intimate he's looking at the NFL can, you know, be detrimental to their recruiting. And so they generally keep those pretty much under wrap. Um, so anyway, and frankly, not a lot of them make that great transition. I mean, we're still in this era of, you know, how many coaches can go from the NF, from, from college to the NFL, really be successful. We saw Matt Rule that didn't work out at Carolina. I still think that has a lot to do with the organization and not finding a quarterback, yep. but you know, man, Mike Gundy here in Tampa Bay, that that would have been a story. All right, he's can Matt I, Baker. Can I, share, he's, can, I, can I share one other Gundy story really fast? Please, yeah. <laughs> um, so everybody knows I'm, man, I'm 40 rant, all right? Um, yeah. So, I, you know, and I've spent spent time out there, and I, co- I was around Oklahoma's program a lot and covered it for a couple years as kind of the number two-ish guy. Um, so mm-hmm. at one point, I had to ask, uh, Bill Haston, who is the you know, veteran writer and a, a mentor to some degree to me, really good dude. Um, so, so Bill, what what did you think during that rant? Um, yeah. And this is just such a newspaper reporter thing. And so, I so what, what were you thinking when he was, was doing that directed that? at him? By the way, or was it? No, it was it was not directed at him. Um, the the quick backstory is. Um, at the time, the uh, it was directed to the Oklahoman. At the time, the Oklahoman had a state version of the newspaper, which got an early edition because of earlier deadlines, yeah. and a local version, which went just went to Oklahoma City. And mm-hmm. the column that uh, set Gundy off was big centerpiece in the state version, while the local version got the high school big high school football game that night. But the high school football game was not over in time deadline, so right. that made this story literally bigger than it probably was intended to be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Gundy obviously blows up. And so I asked Bill, like, what, what were you thinking 
when that was going on. And he just complete deadpan response. I'm thinking this is a sidebar. <laughs> which, wow. <laughs> which is just so so he uh you know, he eventually calls the boss like, Hey, uh Gundy kinda kinda blew up and boss like, uh huh, uh huh, that's great. We're on deadline. No no no, he <laughs> that's great. kinda really blew up. Um and then the other the other thing, this is just this is just how we are wired. You you know this. I, I hope our, our listeners will understand a little bit better. Um, that was a big win. They beat Texas Tech. I think it was like their first top 25 win in their country. It was a big win. And the only thing was this rant. So Bill had to like follow Gundy toward his office afterward to like talk about the game. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know what the questions were like. What do you think of your running back performance today? Or, I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, that's something that is still uh, talked about out there. And yeah, that's on that's on the first line in, in uh, Mike Gundy's obituary. Uh, for sure, one of the great uh, rants in all of football, not just college football. But yeah, I'm a man. I'm 40. Come after me, and uh, and it turns out the Bucks came after him uh, about that time or a couple years later. So. Anyway, Matt, enjoy your uh, trip back up to Tallahassee. Your car knows the way. Safe travels, and uh, we'll be reading you in the Tampa Bay Times, Clemson, Florida State, on Saturday. Should be a great one. Thanks, Rick. Really looking forward to this weekend in college football. I'm going to miss some of it on the airplane headed to Pittsburgh, but uh, should be some great games all through the afternoon and the evening. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One final thing, Steve. I guess uh, Ian Cole had some kind of meeting with the NHL security in New York. That's where the where the Lightning were playing the Rangers the other night, and you know, addressing those allegations, anonymous allegations on social media uh, of sexual misconduct. So we'll, I guess, we'll find out sooner, hope, hopefully, than later, uh, just so what the status of of his uh, availability is going to be. The Lightning are the ones that suspended him pending the outcome of this investigation. So, you know, he was not able to play in the opener. I'm not sure, like, and just from a hockey standpoint, and I don't want to really, I don't know anything about the other cases, obviously, uh, other than what I've read, but how much of a, how much of a player was he going to be for them? In other words, how much were they counting on him playing a big role this year? Uh, I mean, he, look, he wasn't the replacement for Ryan McDonough. Right. I mean, essentially, Sergachev steps into that role. Yeah. But he was going to be the left-handed shot defenseman, probably on the penalty kill a lot. Okay. And he was going to be a big part. I mean, he was going to be your third pair as your third left-handed yeah, sure. defenseman. But hmm. they were going to rely on him to do a lot on the penalty kill and some of the hard work, um, you know, to free Hedman and Sergachev up for other things. So uh, it's it's a big loss, to be honest. Um, but first and foremost, you know, those allegations, if true, Oh, are pretty egregious, done. and, and you yeah. know, he may be done at that point, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if they're true. And, and that's what this investigation's for, and he met with NHL security. No word on you know, how that's going or when you know, they'll know anything and who knows what they know at this point. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the Lightning want to make sure it's cleared up before they put him back on the ice, and that's probably the right, right thing to do given the nature of the allegations. 
Tomorrow we're going to have our uh, mailbag. We have uh, plenty of questions on tap, but you can always submit those anytime, and we'll try to get as many of them answered as we can 100% correctly. You can do that uh, by sending them to us on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Steve and I will preview the Bucks at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Good friend Mike Tomlin, the coach up there, new quarterback. Lots to talk about with that on tomorrow's podcast. Thanks for listening. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.